you, you want to play your best game and whatever that looks like and, and finish with the W. So that's what that's what we're trying to do. WGN Sports Central, welcome in. 312-981-7200-509. My name is Mark Carmen. Hope you're having a great holiday. That was Mitchell Trubisky, who is looking to play his best game against the Minnesota Vikings tomorrow. Noon kickoff up in Minneapolis as the Bears will officially wrap up their season. Uh, we will have Hampton OB with Kaz for the final time of 2019 tomorrow night. It's after Blackhawks hockey, the Blackhawks and the Blue Jackets tomorrow. So we're on at 7.30, 7.30 to 9.30 tomorrow night, where we'll do our best to sum up the season. Uh, I'm going to do my best to sum up the season right now, because we all know that tomorrow doesn't really matter. Uh, it's Look, there's been a lot of chatter. Get rid of right pace. Get rid of Matt Nagy. Get rid of Trubisky. And by the way, some people have said that very straight. Get rid of Ryan Pace. Get rid of Matt Nagy. Get rid of the quarterback. I think we all know the Bears are not getting rid of the general manager. There's no way they're firing Ryan Pace, who's got an extension uh, a couple years back and is signed through next year. He's not going anywhere. Neither is the head coach. And I don't think either is the quarterback. I'd be very surprised. And I'd also be very surprised if he is the backup next year. Should Could they go out and sign somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, uh, who stepped in beautifully this year for Drew Brees? Could they do that? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, that, But that would be a very aggressive move for a bunch of dough. And I just don't think the Bears have the appetite to do it quite yet. But... The other side of it is, if you are Ryan Pace, do you think about your own job security, look in the mirror, and realize, if I go through another year and Mitchell Trubisky and our offense does not get better, then I'm in a spot where the heat is turned up 50 degrees, 50% higher than what it is right now, and do I want to sit in that, or... Do I want to be aggressive right now and try to get this thing back going the way I want it to and give myself some security, give my head coach some security, and just basically say to Mitchell Trubisky, I'm sorry that it did not work out. I'm sorry that we did not put you in the best position to win. I'm sorry that I kept John Fox as your head coach in your first year, which stunted your development. I'm sorry that I went out and paid $18-plus for Mike Glennon to start for one year, and you were forced to start after four games because Glennon was so bad. I'm sorry for all of it, but we really think it's better for you and the organization that... You get a fresh start. You get away from the pressure of being the number two pick that I wrongfully traded up for. We think it's better for you to play somebody somewhere else, and I think it's best for us to move on. Those would all that all be fair. Might be the smartest thing to do, and these are the conversations they're having. But I do wonder three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. If you were asked the question, you can only keep one. Ryan Pace, Mad Nagy, or Mitchell Trubisky, who would you keep? You can only keep one. You can have the general manager who built this roster and 
Maybe you're betting on him because everybody gets a quarterback wrong here or there, and you like what he's done elsewhere. That's a tough putt, but maybe you go that way. I think an easier putt is with the head coach. Look, culture for the Bears is great. That locker room loves him. They started Club Dub. They won 12 games last year with a quarterback who barely knew what he was doing. Yes, he had an elite defense, but at least he got out of the way of Vic Fangio and let him roll. And nobody as a head coach could win this year with that offensive line, without a tight end, with really only one dominant wide receiver. I'm going to keep the head coach and I'm going to roll with him. 312-981-7200. And then the other option is I'm keeping the quarterback. You don't believe that Mitchell Trubisky has been set up to be successful. That if he actually had an offensive line, that if he actually had some playmakers around him, he might look all right. And look, he only played 13 games at North Carolina. He came in. You should have realized that it's going to be a long ramp-up process. The Bears did not help him with the way that it started. He didn't get the same base that Patrick Mahomes had in Kansas City where he was playing behind Alex Smith, a veteran quarterback who was helping him out. He was in a room where you had a lot of experience. Nagy's helping him, and Andy Reid is helping him, and former Northwestern quarterback is is in the room as well, helping him. Mike Kafka, I want to say. Uh, some of that's slipping in my mind right now, but they, they, had a, they had a huge support system for Patrick Mahomes, and they didn't put him on the field his first year. Not until the very end. And he was set up for success to come into that second year and put up huge numbers. So of those three, who would you take? If you could only keep if you could only keep one of those three, who are you keeping? Now, there is a wild card to this conversation that's not for this year, but down the line. We'll get to that in just a little bit here, because Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald's name is out there today in a very interesting way. Real quick, let me get Ann. Hi, Carm. Hello, Ann. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, I would keep Mitch Trubinsky because he is a role model. He's the new football. You've got to use brains instead of brawn. Parents don't let their kids play football anymore because it's too dangerous. So he, he's, he keeps up. He's, he's trashed a lot, but he keeps playing. So I would keep Mitch Trubinsky. You like his attitude. I like his attitude. He makes mistakes. Whether you like him or not, he still makes mistakes. But um, he's in the process of growing to the football. So he, he, uses, he has to use his brains. He has to use his brains. He has to, football is a brainy game, not a brawny game. And thank you. I, I got some reverb going on here, so I got to let you go a little quick there. But uh, I like the fact that when you watch sports and like a lot of people do you're you're looking for you're looking for the heart you you want to you want to root for somebody that you think is a good person and you think Mitchell Trubisky is a good person and so do I nice guy i would if i had a daughter and she was of age and wanted to date Mitchell Trubisky I'd like absolutely guy guy will never do anything wrong nice guy i i'd hire Mitchell Trubisky to do a lot of things for me 
But being the Bears quarterback going forward, not so sure. I want to talk about this Pat Fitzgerald thing coming on back here, 720 WGN. Take it easy on my friend Ann and her calling Mitch Trubisky, Trubinsky. First of all, Hampo being Kaz, we've called him Trubinsky at least 100 times. So I'd like to blame Hampo being Kaz and myself. Uh, I'd also like to blame, and we've, you know, we got Nick Kwiatkowski, that's one of OB's favorites. Uh, so, you know, close enough. Text line, you're funny. I will keep Tubinsky. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. Are we really going to be stuck with Mitch Trubisky for a whole other year and maybe more after that? It's kind of amazing at this point. All right, I wanted to talk about the Northwestern deal, which is this is a story from Jason Lock and Fora from CBS Sports. And the headline Northwestern's Pat Fitzgerald declines. Panthers interview could be top Bears candidate in 2021. Whoa. Whoa out of nowhere. So, and Jason Lockenfora tends to push the envelope every now and then. Sort of tries to connect the dots and it's not necessarily always spot on. And that's okay, by the way. It's totally fine. We're, We're in the sports world here. You can do a little reach here and then. But he writes, the Carolina Panthers reached out to Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald about their vacancy, and he opted not to formally interview for the position. Fitzgerald has been highly regarded in NFL circles for years. Teams have routinely expressed interest in hiring him. Now, uh, the Panthers apparently had hoped to speak to him, but knew it was unlikely because he loves being at Northwestern. Um, there is a strong sense, which is where it gets really interesting, strong sense among NFL executives that if Fitzgerald ever did leave Northwestern, it would be for the Chicago Bears job. Fitz, lifetime deal at Northwestern, makes three point whatever million, living in Evanston. Northwestern dreaming someday of winning a national championship. And LSU, by the way, is going to be in that title game. They're rolling, rolling over Oklahoma. And we'll talk about Ohio State and Clemson coming up here. Dick Trestle is going to be with us at 6.15 tonight. Adam Hogue coming up at 5.35. But here's a question for you. Right now, I could replace Matt Nagy with Pat Fitzgerald. Would you do it? Naggy for Fitz. Now, that's a two-part thing for me. Number one, I love Fitz at Northwestern. I'm a Wildcat fan. Fitz has done great work. The Cats have been winning bowl games year after year after year. Three straight bowl seasons. Nobody ever thought that was going to happen at Northwestern. It's happened under Fitz. Now, the other side of it, though, is that if you want to point out sort of the elephant in the room. They went to the Rose Bowl with Gary Barnett. Has not happened with Fitz. So I know that's something that's got to bother him, right? I think Dave Bennett, by the way, is calling on this on the on the hotline here. So we can this is a good person to have this conversation with. I so I would hate to see him leave Northwestern. And I think there's some unfinished business for him there. But if you're talking about being the head coach of the Chicago Bears and you're Pat Fitzgerald, and you grew up in Orland Park, and you have an opportunity to be the head guy, if that really ever happened, 
If the Bears, call, if they, whatever reason, it didn't work out with Matt Nagy and the Bears called him up, that would be a real, real tough one, I would think, to turn down. Uh, let me bring in Dave Ennett, who perhaps knows Pat Fitzgerald somewhat well. I think he's been around the program for a couple of years. Dave, thank you for taking a moment on uh, 720 WGN. I appreciate it. No problem, Mark. <laughs> What's going on? Well, I, you know, there's this Carolina Panthers thing. Fitz is saying, I don't want to talk to you, and then they write the Bear stuff again. Uh, let, let, let's start with the top. Do you believe that the Panthers reached out to, to Pat Fitzgerald and turned it down? Does that seem like something that may have happened? Uh, well, or I guess to, to what extent was it turned down? Was it just... Uh... Hey, are you interested in talking about it? And I end up, by the way, I haven't talked to Fitz uh, probably since the season ended, so I have I have no idea uh, you know, beyond what what I've heard. But but just my my take on it would be that um, they probably did call doing their due diligence, and I think that uh, a, a lot of teams have called him, and he's he's acknowledged that. Uh, but at the same time, I think he's been pretty strong in his comments saying that he's committed to staying in Evanston and and uh, last year when all this stuff was going on I think it was a year ago this Tuesday night that he stood up there after they beat Utah in the Holiday Bowl and said uh what hashtag go cats you know in front of the whole world so I you know to me these things are going to come up from time to time I think when you've had success and uh, over the course of his career he's had a lot of success I think Teams are going to be interested. Now their schools are going to be calling, and that's all part of them doing their jobs to find out if, in fact, this might be the one that strikes his fancy or might be the one that gets into at least blink. And but but in my mind, it's a great compliment to him because you know that he's still got that rep that that teams are interested, even coming off the three and nine season, which. I think it shows they think it's more the anomaly than than the norm, which is what I believe. No, no question. And he's—I mean, the Cats have been incredibly consistent here for a long time, and this, you know, was a rough year. But everybody, I think, rationally believes the Wildcats will get back on the right track, and maybe as soon as next season. Uh, Teddy Greenstein tweeted this, Dave, and Dave Ennett uh, joining us here on seven twenty WGN Voice of the Wildcats. Everybody knows Dave. You love Dave. I love Dave. Uh, he writes that this the only job that he would ever leave for is the Bears, if the Chicago Bears actually called. That would be a tough one to turn down, would it not? You grew up here, you got a, you have an, you're a made man at Northwestern, you got more money than you can ever dream of, I would think, at this point, but it's a, re, I mean, it's a, it's a great spot to be, you love it, but here comes your hometown team asking you to be the face of the franchise. If that ever happened, that would be tough, I would think. I think it's something he would take a long look at, but I also think you know his name came up last year before Nagy was hired or two years ago. So I mean, I, I don't think this is necessarily uh, a new this concept that the Bears might have some interest. Look, he's he's right in front of them, you know, he's right by their front door. So it's not like they're not going to know about him and not going to be aware of him. And if other NFL teams are are calling to inquire. If the Bears did have an opening, why wouldn't they? I mean, that's that's all part of the process. But I think that, uh, first of all, I, I think it's crazy to be talking about a job that might come open a year from now. I mean, who knows? And and I'm not I'm not so sure that even if the Bears don't have a great year next year, that they're going to 
make a coaching change again. I mean, I think it might take a really, you know, like a fall off the cliff kind of a season, uh, far worse than what happened this year for them to make that change. I, I would agree. With uh, you. I totally right? agree. Yeah, I, I totally so, agree. I don't. I don't think. I don't get the sense that Mandek is even close to the hot seat. It would. It would have to right, be. But to answer to answer your question, I think if it came open, he's he's a. a a uh, bred and uh, born and bred Bears fan, and I I do think if there were a job in the NFL that would appeal to him, it would be the Bears. I mean, how many guys get that chance in their hometown? Right. It it would it would it'd be an incredible incredible moment just to, if, if yeah. just to be sitting there like, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to coach the Bears or do I want to coach coach Northwestern? That that'd be. Just, I mean, <laughs> you know, just just keep keep in mind one thing. That that there've been a number of successful college coaches who've made the leap. Uh, you know Nick Saban. That's top of the uh, list. Lou Holtz. You know Pat. Uh, Pete Carroll's been kind of the exception, but he had some NFL uh, assistant coaching experience before he became a head coach. So I think maybe that's a little bit, a little bit different. What What do you know about the new offensive coordinator? Real fast, Dave. Uh, as the Cats have moved on from Mick McCall, Mike, and I don't even want to say his last name. <laughs> Jakey and I. You know what? I had one conversation with him with a group of other reporters, and I'm very excited to see what he does. I mean, he's got some some big plans for this offense. I think he's had success. I think he he's going in there knowing what he wants to do, and and uh, you know I think the the bigger question is who's going to run that offense on the field for him? who's yeah. going to be the quarterback, and, yeah. and that I I think is probably uh, the uh, the biggest issue still to be ironed out. But we may not know for I don't know till they kick it off in East Lansing next year. That's a, that's a interesting start too for whoever it is. Go beat Michigan State. Go get them. Uh, hoops tomorrow. Yeah. W. We're on eleven sixty. Is that correct? That is correct. AM eleven sixty at uh, two forty five tomorrow afternoon against the Hawks of Hartford. Now you may not you may forget this about my background, Dave. But after a less than stellar high school career at Highland Park High School, I did spend one year at the Hartford Hawks to get my academic career back on track before transferring to Iowa. So I'm going to have some mixed emotions when I see those Hawks jerseys coming out there tomorrow. Just, just, just to let you know. Are you, are you really? Actually, Mark, I, I had no idea. This is breaking news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I think I'll be all right. But just a little quick story. I walk in the gym, you know, which is you know basically the intramural gym where Hartford plays, where I was just playing on the court, and this is the same arena where they play in. And some guy who's 6'10 drives the right baseline and throws down a vicious two-hand dunk. I'm like, who in the world is that? And that was Vin Baker, the most favorite, oh, wow. the most famous ever Hartford Hawk. And uh, I, I talked to somebody like, that guy, doesn't he shoot too many threes? And, <laughs> and they said, well, when you're going to be a lottery pick, you can do whatever you want. I'm like, that dude's going to the lottery? I didn't believe him, but he did go to the lottery with the Milwaukee Bucks and had a well. Quite a nice career. Last I heard, he's not going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> no, he will not be there tomorrow. Uh, and hey, Northwestern hoops is you know it hasn't had a ton of wins lately, but they've obviously taken a big step forward. The DePaul game was a great game; didn't go their way, but uh, I, it's been, it's been fun to see Chris's group come together a little bit here, and hopefully they'll uh, get some wins in the Big Ten coming on up. But uh, we'll hear you tomorrow, eleven sixty, Dave. Looking forward to it. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Mark. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, Dave, and it, uh, jumping in here as I talk about the rumors with Pat Fitzgerald, the Chicago Bears, the Carolina Panthers. Would you rather have Fitz or Matt Nagy coaching the Bears? 312-981-7200. Let's get Adam Hogue up next year, 720 WGN. I don't think so. I don't think so. We just didn't play our game today. It was tough.
um, they came to play, we didn't, and we got behind early, and um, you just can't play catch-up against a team like that, and you can't play sloppy either. Seven twenty WGN. That was your quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, who's trying to keep the rig on the road. I guess you would say for one more game in twenty nineteen. Adam Ho covering the Bears going to be up in Minneapolis tomorrow for the final time of twenty nineteen on the road. Joining us now, hi Adam. How are you? I'm good, Carm. Kind of watching this uh, LSU Oklahoma game right now, and it. Kind of reminds me of Patrick Mahomes versus Mitchell Trubisky last weekend. <laughs> Joe Burrow has seven touchdown passes. LSU is leading Oklahoma forty-nine to fourteen. We are in. Well, we just started the third quarter, but that was after one half of football, which is completely utterly, utterly preposterous. Uh, but Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, you know he's a pretty decent quarterback, but he's missed a couple couple easy throws in this game that could have been touchdowns too and that's that's what was kind of reminding me of that uh-huh uh-huh that's and that's that's a not a great reminder what do you think happens adam let's start at the top here which you know the quarterback's always the conversation but what do you think happens i've heard different people in town say different things this week that the bears owe it to themselves to explore all options and maybe you do move on and i'm just trying to like talk it through in my head like if i'm pace and I'm Nagy do I want to put myself my career in the position where I'm betting on Mitchell Trubisky for one more year or do I want to say you know what you probably could perhaps be better off in another situation and the Bears might be better off in another situation and I and my career might be better off in another situation and I want to do it now yeah and that's where Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy could have different thoughts Right. I mean, I think for the most part, they're tied to the hip. They they remain close. They have similar goals, and I think they have similar ideas of how to go about it. But, you know, if you're Ryan Pace, this is the quarterback you drafted. If you're Matt Nagy, well, you were in Kansas City when they drafted Patrick Mahomes. You know, this wasn't this was the guy you agreed to take a job with, which in, in some respects you do take some of the responsibility for when, for instance, the Colts wanted uh, Matt Nagy, too, and they had Andrew Luck at the time. So, you know, you were kind of choosing between quarterbacks. But you're right in that I, that's why I think this offseason is, A, fascinating, but, B, so important for the people involved here in the decision-making because I still believe, you know, big picture-wise, Ryan Pace has done a pretty good job of rebuilding this team in his five years, going into year six. Uh, and I still view Matt Nagy as a pretty good head coach with upside. It's the offensive side where he still needs to prove himself, and that includes with the quarterback. I think that going ahead with Mitchell Trubisky is incredibly risky, uh, and it's the easiest way to go about it because, you know, from a financial standpoint, that's the most cost-effective way of keeping your team competitive, not just, you know, I'm not just talking about the quarterback position. I'm talking about your expenses overall. You you can win in the window where the quarterback's under a rookie contract. You're in better shape elsewhere. What I found fascinating, I don't know if you saw this, but Dan Pompey wrote a, a story the other day on The Athletic about the idea of Ryan Pace just 
saying screw it and going and signing Teddy Bridgewater. Remember, Ryan Pace came from New Orleans. He knows that organization intimately. Teddy Bridgewater was at Soldier Field this year, lighting up the place in a game the Saints won easily. But that's going to cost you a lot of money. And that's the move. If you go out, there's guys you can sign like a Marcus Mariota where you're saying, all right, we're bringing in competition, but it's still Trubisky's job. If you go out and pay Teddy Bridgewater like a starter, he's your new starter. And you're almost looking to trade Trubisky then at that point, if that's possible. But that would be the move where you're just going, look, we have a Super Bowl-ready defense. We think we have the pieces on offense. We think we have the coach. And we think Teddy Bridgewater is the guy that can run this offense effectively and get us to the Super Bowl. It's sort of your – but the, the problem with doing that, Carm, is you have basically no other money than to go out and get other, other players, even extend some of your own young players. That's where things get into sort of salary cap hell, if you will. And that's why um, that, that move – it makes sense, but it's also risky. Yeah, that's that's just uh, that's gonna be that's a tough decision. End of the day, what do I do here? Do I really think that if I bring in Teddy Bridgewater and let's say I draft a tight end, that all of a sudden I am right there to win the Super Bowl? If I if I think that, then maybe you got to make the move. But yeah. it's it's such a hard thing to know, and that's why those guys get paid the huge money. By the way, I uh, and. Look again. Teddy's a free agent. If the Bears are, if the Bears want to make him the biggest offer that's out there, there's no reason to think he wouldn't come here, right? I mean, if I was him, I, and I saw that defense, and I saw Allen Robinson, I saw a young running back, and maybe whatever you're going to add on, I would think Teddy'd be very interested in coming to Chicago. Yeah, but you'd have to make him. You'd have to make it obvious that he's the starter. You know what I mean? Teddy's sure. Teddy's signing for a starting job at this point. And if he's not, if he's comfortable just being a backup, then he stays in New Orleans, I would think, where he could still take over for Drew Brees in the future. Um, yeah, I, I, now the other side of the financial thing is eventually, if you're sticking with Trubisky, you're going to have to pay him too. Right. So you could be looking at like, well, we got to pay a quarterback. Trubisky's a year off. We're just accelerating this thing by a year and maybe taking a safer option in, in Teddy Bridgewater. But you know what? I I don't know that any quarterback is necessarily a 100% for sure thing coming into this offense um, with Matt Nagy. Now, I think while the systems are, are different in New Orleans and Chicago, the one similarity is that um, it takes a really smart quarterback to run what they do in New Orleans. There's a lot of shifting. There's a, it, it, It's actually – from that standpoint, pretty similar to what Matt Nagy's trying to do and that you got a lot going on, and there's a lot in that the quarterback has to decide both pre- and post-snap. And I certainly think when Teddy Bridgewater comes in there and they go 5-0, and um, that's that's got to be something that gets the attention of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. You would think. You would absolutely think. All right, so one more tomorrow. And, you know, obviously the Bears are playing to win and all that, and, and Trubisky wants to do well. Do you think they do anything different with the quarterback? I mean, it was a real awkward start last week with a lot of running plays, and I, I like seeing it try something different, but do you think they'll do something a little bit out of the Bears' box, if you will, tomorrow? Well, you know, I, I think when you look at this game, it, the, the, the reason to watch, the reason to play it, um, if you're the Bears, and you don't have a choice, but it, you, you're, it's still another game of evaluation. It's another game for them to evaluate Mitchell Trubisky 
and what he can and cannot do. So from that standpoint, with nothing to gain or lose really from a you know standing standpoint or season standpoint, um, you know I test him. I I I maybe look at some of the things that Trubisky's struggled with or shown areas of growth and throw that at him to see if he can do it. Um, because this, that to me, that's what this is about. You have to make a tough decision here in a couple months, um, and you got to see what this guy can do. And nobody knows more about what Trubisky has done well and not done well this year than Matt Nagy, right, and that coaching staff. So that's what I want to see. And then below that, you know, Anthony Miller has come on strong in recent weeks, but he kind of had a bad game last week against the Chiefs. So can you get him going strong into the offseason as well? Uh, and David Montgomery, too. I still like David Montgomery, but it's been a definitely an uneven season uh, in terms of production from that running back spot. And overall, the running game needs an overhaul. And not necessarily personnel-wise, but just scheme and Whatever they got to get fixed, right? This off season, so this is another game to try to figure all that out. Otherwise, let's be honest, there's not much in this game that's too intriguing because the Vikings are probably going to sit their guys and the Bears are out of it. Yep, there's this is a, a, a dud of an end of a, and then all of a sudden the football season is over, which is just yeah. kind of brutal. Uh, although. For those of us who are covering him every day and traveling around the country, you're probably ready for a, a quick little break here, Adam Hogue. I, I want to go back. I want to go back before you leave uh, on something you said at the start, as far as Nagy and and Pace maybe looking at the offseason and Trubisky differently. There was one comment from Matt Nagy recently that I thought sort of stood out. I don't know if you noticed it, and he was talking about how I want to do everything I can in my area to get this offense going better. And I've heard sort of the same thing from Trubisky, you know, a bunch lately where the entire offense as a whole has to play better, not just me. So it almost seems like you have the quarterback saying, hey, it ain't all on me. Look at that offensive line. Look at the tight end position. And then you have the, it almost feels like you have the head coach saying, hey, it's not all on me. Look at the quarterback. Look what I got to deal with. I'll do everything I can in my area, but... There's a lot. There's you know I'm dealing with a talent deficit here. Don't don't make it out like I don't know offense just because I've got ten as my quarterback. Are you hearing any of that, or am I just making things up in my mind? No, I, I think the way I I think I hear it different ways for the two different subjects that are talking about it. For one, I do think there has been Trubisky, and we heard it after the Green Bay game too, of, of sort of. Um, you know, he's in a tough spot right now, and, and he understands that he's you know his career potentially, uh, and if not career, at least contract money, you know, is starting to come up on the line here. And so he needs to defend himself a little bit. And when you, I think, see some of that play calling uh, in Green Bay and the lack of movement getting him around, I think that's him standing up for himself. And I do think that there's uh, been some edge to him recently of him just suddenly making sure people realize that, you know, this thing could be a lot easier on him if he had more consistent offensive line play and any kind of tight end whatsoever, uh, especially when it's so big in this offense. So I think from Trubisky's side, that's how I read it. From Matt Nagy's side, I, you know, I've more read that his, him, his comments over the last couple of weeks is honestly him taking ownership over some of these failures and making it clear that he's going to do everything he can this offseason – uh, to get this thing fixed. 
Uh, same thing for him, though. I mean, it's been two years of this, and there's been no running game, and the quarterback hasn't gotten better, which, you know, that those are two big reasons why he was brought to Chicago. So it's great that he has a winning record overall. It's great that I think he's shown an ability to lead uh, and and be able to coach a whole team together, not just an offense, but he still needs to prove that offense part. So I look at his comments more of just like him vowing to get this fixed, whether that means making coaching changes, which is something I would be on the lookout for next week on that offensive staff, um, and then down the line just uh, making any kind of fixes he has with the scheme as he goes back and views the film from the entire season. You talking about the offensive coordinator? Uh, I think that's a possibility. Um, you know they respect Harry Heastan, so I, I don't. I, it's hard to it's hard to guess on which coaches could be gone, but it just seems like when you look at this thing, it, to me, it's just hard to believe that overall the entire staff would come back uh, in check uh, it, with the same guys. But I also I, I keep and my podcast partner Adam Johns brings this up frequently too. You almost forget that Brad Childress is on the staff. And Brad Childress has coached in the league for a long time. Uh, he's been a mentor to uh, Matt Nagy. He's a big reason why he came over here from Kansas City. And you almost wonder if they slide him into a position like an offensive coordinator, a position where he has more say over things. Maybe similar um, to Gary Kubiak last year, who's not the OC in Minnesota, but they brought him in to help Kevin Stefanski with the Vikings get the running game going more, and so far that has paid big de- big dividends. So I, I'm in- interested as anybody to see if there are any changes to the offensive staff, but uh, I just I can't see it saying status quo. I think that kind of sends the wrong message. I mean, I haven't thought about Brad Childress in a, in, ever. And he was the yeah. o- he was an OC for the Eagles. He's the head coach for the Vikings. He was an o- offensive coordinator, if people don't know that terminology, for the Browns. Uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, <laughs> I mean, he's got a pretty good resume right there. So that that is an inter- that's interesting to throw that out. Well, so we'll see. Uh, I'll be I'll be yeah, watching. And I, and, and I don't really know, honestly. Um, you know, I'm not advocating that he's the answer. In fact, the one guy I keep putting out there as somebody that I would try and go and get if possible. And remember, these guys are under contracts, so you can't just talk to everybody. But Matt Nagy worked with Mike Kafka in Kansas City. Mike Kafka's been doing some great things with the Chiefs, and he's the quarterback's coach for Patrick Mahomes. So if you could somehow get him, and of course, I, I would think most of our listeners will remember, but if they don't, he was former quarterback at Northwestern okay. and was coaching, was coaching under Fitz before he went to uh, got into the NFL. So that's just the name out there that I would be really interested in bringing onto my staff if I was Matt Nagy. Uh, to say, hey, okay, you've been working with Mahomes. How do you feel about coming to Chicago? We'll give you a title bump. We'll give you more say over things, and you can come work with Trubisky. Of course, Mike Kafka might go, uh, no, I'm good. I'm going to work with Mahomes. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to stay with this Patrick Mahomes MVP, <laughs> youngest guy since Dan Marino guy. Good luck with that over there, getting 10 going. I'm not doing that to my career. That would be an interesting right. conversation. All right, Adam, great stuff. Always love having you. You know this. Appreciate you. All right, thanks, Carm. Adam Hogue covering the Bears will be up in Minneapolis tomorrow. Uh, let's let's come on back here, and we will get into some college football after six o'clock. Uh, Dick Tressel, who was a long time 
assistant coach for the Ohio State Buckeyes will help us preview Ohio State and Clemson coming on up here. And we'll have some fun with the all-decade teams as well. A lot to do with you till 7 on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. Thanks again to our guy Adam Hogue for jumping on. Mark Carmen with you till 7 o'clock. The Peach Bowl is going the way of LSU. 56-14. to 849 to go in the third quarter. Joe Burrow who's going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. The quarterback for the LSU Tigers is resting comfortably, getting ready for that national championship game, which is in 16 days. Kind of crazy that they jammed in these national uh, semifinal games when I really felt no buzz that anyone was talking about it. And, you know, can't get any bigger if you're an LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson, or Ohio State fan. Uh, the Buckeyes have won 19 games in a row. Clemson has won 28 in a row, which is the longest streak in college football. So those two matching up tonight at 7 o'clock. And for you Bulls fans out there, they got the Atlanta Hawks in town tonight. You might be slightly interested to know that Jabari Parker, who played for the Bulls last year, will not be in the lineup tonight for the Atlanta Hawks. And according to Casey Johnson's latest tweet, the Bulls are going to acknowledge Vince Carter's Last game in Chicago tonight. Vince Carter, for just a moment, had one of the great underrated NBA careers going. The guy's been playing in the league for 20 plus years. He was dunking over seven foot six inch European ridiculous players back in the day when he was on the Olympic team. He's put up huge numbers, great shooter. Um, partner with this guy, T-Mac, and to go and play in the, in the league for 20 years, that's just not going to be duplicated again. I've gotten an t- opportunity to interview Vince Carter a bunch of times, and he's just a complete class act, so I just wanted to throw a, a moment of love his way. Uh, also, just if you're just joining us, reminder, tomorrow's schedule, Hampton OB with Kaz is coming up 7.30 to 9.30 tomorrow night. Now, the Bears are playing at noon up in Minneapolis in a game that means nothing for anyone. Uh, But we don't get on until 7.30 because there is Blackhawks hockey tomorrow. The Blackhawks and the Columbus Blue Jackets. 3.30 our pregame. That's a 4 o'clock puck drop. Hawks had a nice win last night. And uh, I saw making the round. Everyone's doing their all-decade teams. And Patrick Kane getting slighted by some, the NHL on NBC, not on their all-decade team, top 10 players, is completely and utterly preposterous. So, I don't know how, like, it's it's, it's weird. If he was playing in obscurity, right? If he was playing for a team that hadn't won three Stanley Cups, that wasn't... uh, on New Year's Day every single year, right? Playing at Wrigley Field or Notre Dame or wherever. But they listed Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, Eric Carlson, Patrice Bergeron, Connor McDavid, Evgeny Malkin, Henrik Lundqvist, Kopitar, Stamkos, and Zdeno Chara as your top ten. And Kane's not on the list. Great players, but don't tell me that Patrick Kane's not better than Zdeno Chara. Get out of here, man. I mean, I you can make an... He's got he has more points than Sidney Crosby or they're putting number one. 
Don't be don't don't be doing the caner like that, man. Three cups at MVP, Con Smythe. Is it? I'm wondering, like, is it because of? Uh, are, are we going like all the way back to some off ice stuff way back in the day when Patrick Kane is super young that you're you're dinging him for that? Uh, fourth in goals, fourth in assists, first in points, a Hart Trophy as well. Men- mention the three cups and the Con Smythe. Patrick Kane, not in the top ten players of the decade. Get out of here, man. Come on, come on, NHL on NBC. That is not right. All right, we'll preview the college football championship uh, semifinal coming up here after 6 o'clock. News is on the way in about four minutes. And uh, I'm also going to play around with my all-decade team uh, for a team that won a World Series in this decade. Chris Bryant is on that team, right? Anthony Rizzo is on that team. John Lester is on that team. Jake Arrieta is on that team. Who's the fifth Cub? On that team, I'll discuss how I've kind of been going back and forth as to who actually belongs there when you think about the decade that is about to have come and officially go coming up here in a couple of days. News next, 720 WGN. Ross flies one into center, sends Davis back He shouldn't have been in the game. Kyle Hendricks still should have been pitching. But that was a big-time home run by David Ross in Game 7 of the World Series in 2002. Now the manager of your Chicago Cubs. We're doing the all-decade teams, and I was just thinking about the Cubs and who should be on that all-decade team in the decade that the Cubs finally won the World Series. Mark Harmon with you at Sports Central, 312-981-7200. And I, I almost feel like as we're just ending up the decade here, that like the fact that the Cubs won the World Series in this decade is not being talked about enough. Like That is by far the biggest story in this town uh, in this decade, and it's not even close. And the Blackhawks won three Stanley Cups, which were amazing. Completely amazing. But the Cubs winning the World Series, I mean, come on. That was worldwide. The Red Sea parted the whole deal. And so when you think about the All-Decade team, I mean, I, I think your number one draft pick in, in Cubsdom has to be Anthony Rizzo, right? He went through the darkest of days. They were at the bottom year after year after year, and Rizzo stayed through it. He tried to fight the entire Cincinnati Reds dugout one day. And there he was catching the final out from Chris Bryant. He's got to be on. The, he's got to be there as number one. I think number two is Chris Bryant, the guy who picks up the ground ball, won the Rookie of the Year, won the MVP, and hit an absolutely enormous home run in the World Series. That Chris Bryant to me has got to be number two. And they, by the way for whatever reason, don't want to pay Chris Bryant or don't think they could pay pay Chris Bryant and apparently are going to trade Chris Bryant, which is just kind of ridiculous. Number three for the Cubs, I think, is John Lester. Guy comes over here, six-year deal, $155 million, bets on Theo, bets on Jed, bets on Tom Ricketts, bets on the young talent, and... Pitches game five at home with the white with the Cubs down three games to one. 
pitches game seven on the road coming out of the bullpen and his nails and has just been ridiculously consistent. John Lester, to me, is number three. And number four is Jake Arrieta. Greatest trade maybe in the history of the franchise. I'll throw Sosa in there. Scott Feldman, and who was a one-year nothing pitcher and a backup catcher for Jake Arrieta, and they also got Pedro Strope in the deal, and he wins the Cy Young in 2015. He's throwing no-hitters at Dodger Stadium. He's winning the wild-card game against the Pirates in 2015, and he won both of his starts on the road in the World Series. And the ultimate winner, right? When Arietta was going as well as he was going in 2015, there wasn't a better pitcher in the decade for that stretch. But so those are the first four. Who would you say is number five? 312-981-7200. Let me give you some candidates. Number five. If you want to stay in the rotation, you could say Kyle Hendricks. Started game seven. Third in the Cy Young Award race in 2016. Incredibly consistent. Not sexy. Unbelievable trade, by the way, Ryan Dempster going to the Rangers and you pull off Kyle Hendricks. Kyle Hendricks could be number five. You could also go Javi Baez. MVP of the LCS in 2016 when the Cubs came back from two games to one down against the Dodgers. Dynamic as they come, right? Incredibly exciting. Shortstop, second base, third base. You could go with Javi. That would be a very fair choice. You could go off the board. You could say, you know what? They won in 2016 and they haven't won since this guy left. I think it'd be a fair choice to say, you know what? I'll take Dexter Fowler. Let off Game 7 with a game-winning home run. Set the tone for that team. Was great in 2015 as well. Uh, brought a, just a, a certain swagger to the Cubs that they've been missing since he's been gone. I think you could say Dexter Fowler. 312-981-7200's phone number. Uh, and then you could, you know, if we really want to go deep off the board... You could, you could pick you could pick a guy like Kyle Schwarber, and yes, he's had some down years. But do the Cubs win the World Series in 2016 without Schwarber missing the entire season, coming back, having five days of practice in Arizona, and then all of a sudden you're throwing him in Game One of the World Series, and he's leading off the tenth inning of Game Seven with a base hit, getting on base. And he's hitting bombs in 2015 against the St. Louis Cardinals, putting one on the right field video board with the ball that was stuck at the top. You could say Kyle Schwarber. Kind of a fun little exercise. Uh, John and Lake Zurich, you're going further off the board. Who do you got, John? I'm a Ben Zobris guy. <laughs> ben Zobris is a great one. Tell me why. World Series MVP. Yep. People forget that, John, right? The dude won the and MVP, and he had the double yeah, and, he, and he had the double down the left field line that drove in the go-ahead run in the 10th inning of Game 7. What more do you want, right? That's all I can ask for. 
John, is that is is that the sports moment of the decade that you'll remember the most? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Appreciate you, my brother. My life. Yep. My life. Of your life, right? Where were you, John? Tell me where you were. I was sitting at home watching it. <laughs> Did you have the popcorn out, John? Were you doing anything fun, or were you sitting there like, they're going to blow it, they're going to blow it, they're going to blow it, I know they're going to blow it? Nope, nope, nope. I sat there and had my beers, and when they wanted, I went outside, pulled out the boombox, played We Are the Champions, and walked, woke up the neighborhood. <laughs> you played We Are the Champions in Lake Zurich and woke up everybody, John? Absolutely. Did anybody join you and run into the John Lawn and dance with you? Yes, sir. People were driving by. They stopped the car. They get out. I said, hey, uh, what? you want a beer? He said, sure. I said, what kind? He said, cold. So I ran in and got him one, and it was all great. Ah, look at that. You bringing the community together. Who's the next team in Chicago to win the whole thing, John? White Sox. I, I think so, too. I think so, too. All right. Appreciate the phone call, my friend. Uh, three, Thank you. Happy New Year. Yep. Back at you, John. 312-981-7200. I see you on the text line. Where does drafting Adam Shaheen rank? Hey, leave Ryan Pace and his Adam Shaheens and Mitchell Trubisky out of this conversation, sir. Uh, we will talk to Dick Tressel next. Get a preview a little Buckeyes and the Clemson Tigers coming up in your national championship game. A long, long, long time coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. That's next, 720 WGN. Quick memo here to Ed Ogeron, who's the head coach of LSU. Coach, you're up 56-14. to 14. You're in the national championship game. Your guy Joe Burrow is going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. You do not need him anymore. When you're in the fourth quarter, get him out of there. He's got to get his way to the NFL, too. And you're trying to win the national championship. I don't know why he's still on the field. For News at 10, watch WGN, Micah Matera, Joe Donlin, Dan Rohn, and Chicago's most trusted meteorologist, Tom Skilling. For TV News at 10, watch Chicago's very own WGN. All right, very excited uh, to have our next guest on the line here. Uh, by the way, my name is Mark Harmon. Thanks for listening today as Ohio State and Clemson is kicking off at the top of the hour. And Dick Tressel was an assistant coach with the Buckeyes under his brother Jim for 10 years. They lost in the national championship game twice. They won the Sugar, the Rose, the Fiesta, beating Arkansas, Oregon, and Notre Dame. And he knows that Buckeyes program as well as you can know it. And he joins us now on WGN. Dick, thanks for taking a couple of minutes here. We appreciate it. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mark. Happy to be get, having a chance to visit in the middle of this football day. <laughs> Am I right here on Coach O? Why, get, get your guy Joe Burrow off the field here, Coach. Game's over. Oklahoma's quarterback's pretty good. He's probably pretty nervous. The guy could make a comeback. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I supp- that's true. I mean, Jalen Hurts is talented and all that, but you, I mean, you're up. I, I can't. I don't know if I can do the math this quick on this fly here, Coach. But you're up. Yeah. Uh, you're up forty plus points, right? Five, I think you're all five, right. Five touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's a that's a nice solid lead here. Uh, so, what what do you what do you like? Uh, Dick, about tonight's game with the Buckeyes as far as uh, going up against Clemson. And this is a team that certainly, uh, as impressive as they come, could easily be number one. Uh, Ohio State looking for some revenge here. And Justin Fields is a stud quarterback, but he's going to have to have a hell of a day here if the Buckeyes are going to do it. Well, you know, the the Buckeyes, this is their plan. I mean, they, they came and their plan is to be in this situation, it's going to be right up their alley. 
you know, and they've been playing awfully good competition. And, you know, yesterday the Big Ten started it, Michigan State, and then Iowa scored a bunch, then Penn State. So, you know, um, the, the, the Big Ten deserves to be in these games. There's, there's no doubt. And when you were there, Dick, you guys won the conference six times. And I mentioned you you lost in the championship game twice. Uh, so you won it once. And we you, beat Miami. And and you you won it beating beating uh, a Jared Payton and Miami team, which was unbelievable. Um, and that was back. I'm I'm not sorry. That's not JP's team. That's back in 2014. Yeah. You went from making the run from the fourth seed uh, to do it. Um, no, we we beat we beat Miami way back in 2002. That's when, that's when we did it, when I was there. I, I'm, confu- I'm confusing when Urban did it with when you, when you guys did it. That's that. right. So t- exactly. T- 2002, what I, where I'm getting at is here, you know, and, and right now Ohio State is just flat out dominating Michigan, and it, it never quite was like that. And I'm, I'm wondering why you think the, that there has been able to be this, this separation when you guys had it going and, and the way they have it going right now. I am really not certain, but I do know that, that confidence and momentum and realizing how much it means, uh, those are all things that, that are on the Buckeyes side of the ledger right now. And, uh, you know, once, once you get it going and the fans, it, um, it, it's special. You know, what do you, what did you, what do you miss most about being their coach? And what did you love most about being at Ohio State? The thing that I loved the most was just the total commitment to the game of football and the Buckeyes by the state of Ohio. That is just, you know, it's beyond belief how uh, supported the Buckeyes are. Um, You know, the thing I miss are are really having a chance to work with players that truly want to excel. You know, whatever they can do, Coach, let's go. Let's do it. You know, and it's, um, you know, those are – the, the things that coaches dream about. So when you think about about of those players, coach, who's, who comes out? Who's who's number one in, or in the in the picture of guys that you worked with that you know were just you you that puts a smile on your face today? You know, the one that I, I always think back to, and what he wasn't at my position, um, but that was just a great player and a smile on your face. Do it every time is a guy by the name of Mike Nugent. Place kicker, you know, just super. He was on that championship team, and I think he's still kicking this year. I don't remember who for though, you know, in the NFL. But Nugent, um, you know, I think that that the, uh, you know, at the running back position had a couple of great great guys. One was Beanie Wells, who was a first round draft choice, um, went on and played with with Phoenix. Um, just they wanted to do everything they could do, and and cared so much about it, and that's uh, just just fun. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of shocked that you're, you're you named a kicker, and I appreciate that, Coach. That just shows that you're, oh. and you you no, yeah, you appreciate the whole roster, right? Nugent was a super dude, a winner, won games for us. But you know, whatever it took, he would do it all. Um, you know, and I think those kind of little things um, are sometimes the differences in in programs that just go on and on and on and and. Uh, you know, the up and down that most of us see. Yeah. Former Buckeye assistant Dick Tressel with us here on 720 WGN. You also coached on the D3 level for a long time, coach at Hamlin. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, because some people don't 
quite understand the level of athlete that is on, that plays uh, on the D3 level or even D2 and how much there's a sort of a purity to it, right, that you don't get at Division One. Which level well, for you? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, which, which did you enjoy more? Well, you know, the, the excitement of, of Division One was certainly special. I think that for me, I, um, I was an educator. My dad was a Division Three coach, played Division Three. You know, I would have to say that, like you said, the purity of Division Three kids not getting anything except the joy, you know, of participating in an education, you know, that that's giant for me. That's one on the tune decks. Um, but, but you, you know, these kids that are playing to, to be the very best they can be physically, um, you know, that, that's, that's an exciting, uh, you know, exciting piece of the game of football. Yeah. Did, did, did you think your brother was treated fairly on, on the way out? Well, I'm a little prejudiced, but <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. And, and, and I guess, I guess I didn't get to decide, but, um, the only thing I would say about that is, is you, if you'd go now and compare the last 20 years of people's violations and what happened to them 10 years before Jim Trestle and 10 years after, I think that uh, you'd have some question marks come up like, wow, how, how did this happen when these other guys and programs, you know, just sort of, you know, slid by? Moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, but that's just a comparison. That's not saying who's right, who's wrong, who you know did anything right or wrong. Um, so that, uh, but for sure, um, yeah, I think you might have been treated unfairly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and Dick Russell with us here for a couple more moments on seven twenty WGN, longtime assistant coach with the Ohio State Buckeyes from uh, two thousand one to two thousand and ten. Do you think, Coach, that uh, college athletes, football players especially, should be getting money for participating in college sports? You know, um, I already alluded to the fact that I'm a little on the purest side, that I feel like the experience and the education is so valuable that, you know, if those guys in the NBA – that go right into basketball don't get that kind of thing. I think that the football players truly benefit from that. Um, the uh, the compensation is a function of so much money out there. When there's so much money out there, can't we share it down? Is I think what the argument is. You know, that the people that are for the NCAA for their institutions truly doing the work. To, you know, for the or the uh, cash, so to speak, um, should they share it? There's an argument that way. Is it one of those things that I would say, hey, this is really going to be good for everybody? I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, no, and I agree. I don't think it would be necessarily good for everyone, but you know, you just look at it. You're having a college football semifinal today. You got to you. You sold out stadiums left and right. You got kids playing 13, 14, 15 games in a season. Uh, I mean, it looks like a professional football to me, Coach. It smells like professional I football. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I agree with you. That, that, that's why when you asked me D3 or D1, I was a raise my hand for Division three because I think there's a place in this world for football as a part of an education, not as a professional sport. 
Yeah, and I mean, I would let guys, you know, I mean, a lot of people go to college and they major in journalism. They don't end up becoming broadcasters and or newspaper writers, and then they they pick another career. You want to go to school and major in athletics and bet on yourself that way? Well, I mean, that's a choice, and it may work out, and it, and it may not, and it, and maybe you get a financial benefit for it if your jersey's being sold in the bookstore or however they or if your team is playing to you know a certain level of dollars that's being brought in you you get a slice of it but you know obviously the ncaa is not feeling very motivated to do that we'll we'll see what happens down the line but it seems like it just at least is moving that way hey dick you want to give a prediction tonight it sounds like you think the buckeyes are going to win you know i'm going to be cheering big 10 all the way um, the people are scoring points like crazy, and both the teams tonight can do that. So let's say uh, uh, 35-31 Buckeyes. Wow, it would be amazing. I would love it. And uh, not I swear, like, it doesn't feel like a lot of people think Ohio State's going to win tonight, but I, for some reason, do. They've been the best team that I've seen all season long, so we'll see. Hey, hey Dick, thanks so much for picking up the phone and being on today. We really appreciate it. Okay, Mark. Have a happy new year, man. You too, sir. You too. Dick Dressel with us here on 720 WGN. Buckeyes and Clemson coming up. 720 WGN. 312-981-7200. All-decade team. Thanks again to uh, Dick Dressel for jumping on here. National Championship semifinal coming up. Number two of the day, Clemson and Ohio State. All right. Bears fans, dance floor is open for you. 312-981-7200. Your all-decade team for the Chicago Bears, who did very little from 2010 and 2020. Who do you have at quarterback on your all-decade team? Options. Jay Cutler. Gentleman Jay. Perhaps the most polarizing athlete in the history of Chicago, right? Uh, You could go with Jay or... Go crazy. Dial up a Josh McCown and remember the br- the brilliance that McCown had backing up Cutler and should have never been taken out of lineup. Or you could go with Mitchell Trubisky. Imagine the options. Or Mike Glennon. It has been one hell of a decade for the Chicago Bears at the quarterback position. Running back is a no-doubter. That is Matt Forte all day long, right? Matt Forte was just... Uh, I mean, if you... When you think about great Bears running backs, uh, he's not sexy, he's not Walter, he's not Gale, and maybe he's not even Neil Anderson, but he does have 8,600-plus yards, which is second in Bears history to Walter Payton, so you got to give it to Matt Forte, and they probably moved on from Forte maybe even one year early. Uh, when I think about receivers for the Bears, you got Brandon Marshall, you've got Alshon, but I actually I would pick the guy they have right now. Allen Robinson's been a stud, and he's a winner, and I think he's going to continue to get better. And, I, and you, all decades teams, they have to. I guess these stats have to come within the decade. But I'm going to like decade and play it forward. I'm taking a Rob over. Brandon was fun, but he was a pain in the behind. Alshon was fun, but he had trouble staying on the field. I would, I would go with the guy they have right now. Tight ends a no brainer. I loved him. He left here with sort of a, I don't know. It was he had definitely worn out his welcome, but Martellus Bennett was a ton of fun when he was here, and I recently just interviewed him, 
Uh, he was working with Dos Equis for the college football playoff. And I'm actually going down to New Orleans for the cha- college football championship game, which I, it's going to be LSU and either Bama or Clemson, obviously. I think or, uh, LSU and Ohio State or Clemson. I think it's going to be Ohio State, but we'll see. Regardless, we're going to sit with Martellus for one hour and discuss the life of Martellus Bennett. So that'll be an interesting thing that I'll be able to bring to WGN. But Marty was awesome. He had 90 catches in 2014, which passed Mike Ditka's record of 75 in 1964. Can you believe that? Ditka in 64, alongside the great Ed Obradovich, caught 75 balls. 75 balls back in that era. I mean, 89 had it rolling. If, and if somebody had said to Ditka back in 64, hey, that record's not going to be topped until 2014 by a guy by the name of Martellus Bennett. Imagine what Iron Mike would have thought. But that's, um, I, you got to go, you got to go with Marty. I don't want to get into the offensive line. But so if you think defensively and you think about the linebackers, you've got, you, this is where the Bears, and, and they were past their prime, but you had Briggs and you had Erlacher. And you had Trevathan, and I, I would th- throw Khalil Mack in there, even though you could say he's more of an edge rusher, but also a linebacker. That That is an actual conversation. The Hall of Famer, first ballot, and Brian Erlacher, he's got to be there, right? But when his career is done, who's going to have a greater impact on the game, Erlacher or Khalil Mack? If OB's listening to this right now, he's probably going to come in here and beat me up tomorrow. But I pay a lot more attention when I'm watching a football game watching Khalil Mack than I did watching Brian Urlacher, as great as he was. But pure impact getting to the quarterback, Khalil's going to be up there by the time it's over. But there's no doubt that Urlacher's got to be number one on the defensive side of the football. But, you know, Peanut was great. Uh, and I had so much fun last year with that team going 12-4 and and Eddie Jackson, the safety position, making plays. But not not quite there. The, the the thing that I would get to when you think about the decade for the Bears, the greatest player in the last decade might have to be the kicker who they let go. I mean, Robbie Gold was here for 11 years. He's got 1207 points. I mean, that's more points than Walter Payton. It's more points than Kevin Butler. He was doing it on bad teams. He he became the the all time leading scorer in, in in 2015, and for whatever reason, the Bears in their all their brilliance just decided to move on from him. But like as as bad as as this decade has been, playoffs like not even you don't even think about it and making a run. You might have to actually go with the kicker, and how sad is that? Three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred. The best Bears player of the last decade. Does anybody even come to mind? And then I was going through the White Sox. Like, oh my God, where are you? best White Sox players of the last decade? Canerco, Abreu, Chris Sale, Tim Anderson. Imagine what that conversation is going to be like in twenty thirty. I mean, hopefully you'll be discussing well. They won the World Series. Eloy was amazing. Robert was great. I couldn't believe how good Dylan Cease was. I mean, that's 
Like, dream it big for a moment here. Yes, Curtis? Can't hear you, sir. Going back to the Bears, uh, I yeah. was in special teams, Devin Hester. Okay. Hold on a second here. Devin Hester. Let me let me look at it. He did play a little bit of wide receiver. He was awful. Yeah. But I, I'm, hold on here. I'm just trying to look at his de- decade numbers here because I did not consider Devin, which maybe is he, a mistake. He was with the team until 2013, and then he was with Atlanta. So he had three seasons. Uh, he led him in punt returns twice. 2010, 2011. You, sure. Sure. I mean, it's not as exciting as Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's special teams. He's not on a But no, I, I think it's a good call. He's, he's definitely in the... I mean, he's got to be in the team photo. I mean, fair. And some people think that, you know, Devin belongs in the Hall of Fame. Which, that's... Uh, to me, it's just he's too much of a specialist for to be a Hall of Famer, but on the other hand, it's like if you're the best person to ever do that, at, if you're the best person to ever be a punt return, should you be in the Hall of Fame? Well, I guess and, you probably should be. And the fact that he practically had the NFL change the rules, move the kickoff uh, point you know, back more, so that way they or up more, so that way they, there was more touchbacks, and essentially you just start the game at the 20-yard line and how they handle that whole thing. So, I mean, there was a little bit, I guess, kind of a little bit of a rule change you could maybe credit towards him and his style as to how the sure, NFL sure. maybe handled that. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's, I think you're reaching a drop there, but I guess he gets some He gets some credit. I, okay. Devin was unbelievable, man. He was, he was as exciting as they came when he took it back in the Super Bowl. It was one of the greatest moments in the history of the franchise. No, no question about it. But... Body of work in the in the decades. I don't. I don't. He, he belong. He, he deserves to be discussed. And 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 maybe I don't know. Maybe I didn't give him enough love. You've, if you look at the records from this year, from the decade, in, a, in 2010 they went 11 and five with Lovey, his last good season. And they went eight and eight. And they went 10 and six. And they fired him. Kind of amazing. They go eight and eight with Tressman, missed the playoffs. Five and eleven, fire Tressman. Let's bring in John Fox. Six and ten, three and thirteen, five and eleven. See you later. Here comes Nagy. They go twelve and four. It was a ton of fun. They're in the playoffs. They play the Eagles. They're at home. You think they're going to make a run? They miss the double doink. Cody Parkey is not on the All Decade team, and out go the Bears. And then you finish up twenty nineteen at seven and nine or eight and eight. You made the playoffs twice. You won one playoff game in a whole decade. Like, what would be the odds of that? We're going to go a whole decade. You're going to win one playoff game. And you'll be over 500. Over 500. 8 and 8 does not count. You'll be over 500 two times. Three times. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to snip the 2010 season. 11 and 5 and 10. 10 and 6 and 12. 12 and 4 and 18. Be better. 26. Uh, be better in 20. 20 Bears. You can do it. I can feel it. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Everything's going to get fixed up in the offseason here. It's going to be great. All right, we're going to wrap up with our guy Joey Meyer, a conversation with the coach. That is next, 720 WGN. Before we get to my friend Joey Meyer, and by the way, the Wildcats and the Hartford Hawks tomorrow, 
11.60 a.m. is where you can get that game. Two, uh, 2.45 our pregame, 3 o'clock, Dave and Joey. And I had this conversation with Joey uh, little last week, and we didn't get to play it because the White Sox played Dallas Keuchel, and Joey's the greatest, and I think you'll really enjoy this trip down memory, memory lane with DePaul. Uh, but I, I want to give a little love, because I didn't have a chance to do this either, uh, to Joe Madden, who took out an ad a little bit ago in the Chicago Tribune, uh, dear Chicago, we have built relationships, established trust, and exchanged ideas. We worked the fearless process, knowing the outcome would be positive, victorious. We embraced the target, challenging all comers, never permitting the pressure to exceed the pleasure. We knew to be uncomfortable. Get out of the box, showing growth. All this, I mean, it was just, it was a vintage Joe Madden ad, right? And uh, we knew, we knew, we know convoluted complicates, becoming difficult to think clearly in hot moments. Do simple better. Finally, let's raise our glasses in a toast with a shot in our beer, like our grandparents and parents celebrated special occasions or just a hard day's work. Thank you. For the past five years, for your passion, for your open hearts and minds, for forging everlasting relationships, and for sharing your beautiful city with Jay and me. Cheers and happy holidays, Joe and Jay Madden. I thought that was a class move all day by Joe, and we wish him well in his in his journey with the Angels and wherever he's going to go, but having that guy in this town was just awesome. Him, Ozzy Gann, Mike Ditka, Phil Jackson, Joel Quenville. Mount Rushmore only has four. Chicago, we have five. They're all in there. The Myers should be on there, too, by the way. Ray with DePaul and then his son, Joey. Uh, here's a conversation with Joey. And, uh, you know, you're, he's doing Northwestern now, but do you remember... Playing those Wildcats back in your senior season at what was old McGall Hall, Coach Meyer. You know why I remember it? Because it was two renovations ago with the Welsh Ryan, and they had sawdust around the court and track around that. So I remember the setting more than the game. And I try to forget my senior year because we didn't win many games. So I'm sure you're going to give me a score that we got filled in because it was a lot of those. I wasn't going to give you the score. I wasn't going to. You did. You did lose. Then, of course, you segued from playing to how quickly did you become an assistant with your dad, Joey? Was it the, right when you right when you stopped? You know, it's funny. It was my next year. I ended up being the freshman coach. Okay. And, quote, recruiter <laughs> with a zero budget. Uh, whatever. I paid for my own gas. but just drove around the city. Started recruiting in 1971. That is unbelievable. I think that was a year where you guys went to, in '71. I believe you guys went eight and seventeen, or that was your last year as a player. I'm sorry, yeah, that was seventy seventy one. Yeah, yeah. My first year was seventy one seventy two. Okay, yeah, we went eight and seventeen. I really appreciate you bringing that up, Mark. You're just a really a nice guy. Well, well, I could here we could we could zoom ahead here all the way. You know when you when you took over the program in eighty four and eighty five, and you're taking uh, I, I could I could take I could take my lumps. <laughs> I, I lived through it. Yeah, you you know that you won 231 games coaching the DePaul Blue Demons, Joey. That's not exactly a bad job. 
Yeah, we, we, we had a good run, you know, and people ask me about that. Well, obviously, Coach Ray had a great run. But we, at, combined, we had a good run. It, you know what? I really enjoyed being his assistant because he gave me so much responsibility and trusted in me, and that's such a great feeling as an assistant. I tried to do that with my assistants just because Coach made me feel so good and gave me so much responsibility. So, yeah, we had some really, really good years. Yeah. I remember those. The the best years. And you, of course, you when you were the head coach, that's when Rod Strickland and Dallas Comagies, and you were being Virginia in the tournament, and you were taking out number four seed Oklahoma. Oh. You remember all this, Joey. I know you do. You know, I, I remember more from watching tape than I do the actuals, but I do remember the tournament. Yeah, we, we kind of snuck in the tournament in 86 and beat the ACC champs, Virginia, then beat Oklahoma. And unfortunately, at Meadowlands, we ran up against a team, I think, the Blue Devils, coached yeah. by that, you know, that long name, Krzyzewski, something, something like, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we played really well, but they were just – they went to the finals that year. I don't know if they won it that year, but they were a really good week. But anyway, it was a great feeling. Then we went back to the Sweet 16 the next year, uh, and, you know, that was a, that was a great run. We, I really enjoyed that. Why, why do you think DePaul, and since you left in 97, they've been to the tournament two times, Joey. I mean, we're sitting here in 2019, and, and hopefully the Demons can get there this year. But why, why do you think, if you had to you know, put your thumb on one reason, that's been the case? You know, you can point to a lot of things, and I always say it's kind of like making excuses. I do know that when I was there, we had WGN until towards the end of my career, ESPN came along. We were kind of like America's team. Everybody watched us either on NBC or on WGN-TV, and then ESPN came in all the games. So our edge, we lost a little bit. I do know that when I was finishing up. I can't speak to everything else that's going on, but you know what it is. You get players, you become a good coach. I was really a good coach when Kevin Edwards and Rod Strickland at guard. Man, I was pretty smart then. Kevin Edwards is a hell of a player. That's that's You just walked right into my childhood right there. Uh, I loved him and Rod Strickland. I was interviewing Tim Hardaway the other day, and uh, I, named, I asked him to name who was the most underrated point guard that he competed against, and he said Rod Strickland, which I thought was a hell of a compliment. You know, I, I really think... Rod, what he played, 18 years in the league. He he had the knack, probably the best finisher around the basket that I've ever seen. He had this running one-hander. I remember the first time he did it, I said, what are you doing? And then he made about five in a row. I said, yeah, that's a good move, Rod. Just keep doing it. You know, <laughs> he, he could float that thing over. You, his ability to finish around the basket at his size was was really incredible. I mean, hell, we, we averaged 27 wins a season with him, so you know. He was pretty good. I, I, I yeah, talent wise, as good as any point guard I've ever seen. And uh, he's got two young kids now. One just transferred from Wisconsin. I forget where he went to. Uh, so, tip, this is Rod though. I say to Rod, I hear your youngest son is better, going to be better than you. And he goes, "Come on, coach, <laughs> you know better than that." <laughs> That's my man, Rod. How, how did you get him? He was a Brooklyn guy, right? How did he, how did you get him to come to Chicago? Uh, I give a lot of credit to Jim Molinari. Uh, Jim did a great job in recruiting him. He, we saw him in AAU. I think he would have gone to St. John's as Lou, well, I know he would have, if Lou Karnaseka would have played fast pace. He wanted a big city and he wanted the ball and he wanted to run. And, and St. John's was a little slower pace at that time with Mark Jackson and that. 
So that's I think that's why we got over there, big city, and pushed the basketball, give it to him, and let him go. And he knew what to do when he had it. Yeah, no, no doubt. First pick in the 18th round of the 1971 NBA draft by the Buffalo Braves. Joey Meyer with us here on 720 WGN for a couple of months. Man, you are digging. <laughs> did, did you like that? I thought you really liked that one. Come on, man. Yeah. Eight, I didn't even know they had 18 rounds of the draft, but they did it in 71, and you got selected first overall in the 18th round, damn it. Well, the, the, that I didn't know, but I do know they're running out of bodies. So they said, <laughs> oh, like this kid. What's his name? His dad was a famous coach. Did Ray, uh, how, did, how did he teach you the game? Give me a little history of you know my father and son on the court as a, as a young man. You know, I, I was always around it. The coach wasn't the type that... Uh, I still call him coach. Isn't that amazing? It's beautiful. He, he he wasn't the type of person that would be in your ear or anything. I can only remember one time when I played in high school that he said something to me during a game. And he was at some of my games. I got, got on a little run, and all those Mount Carmel fans out there, and we were beating Mount Carmel. I just had a real good third quarter going in the fourth quarter. And he looked at me, raised his fist, and yelled, keep going. I thought, that's coach. I've never heard him say that to me. Now, when I played for him, there was a few times he was not real happy with me. But, yeah, we it was just it was like intravenous feeding. You know what I mean? I was around it so much, and we talked it so much. Even my mom, it, it just was a topic of conversation. It just started when I was really young. How did he uh, communicate his unhappiness to you when you were playing for him? I mean, he's... It's, it was two, two ways. <laughs> he, he, he didn't really... He, he did really yell at me a lot, but I can remember a couple of them. But I always remember when he didn't talk to me. <laughs> that was the sign that <laughs> he's not real happy with me. Yeah. When yeah. I'd walk by him in the house or something like that, that there wasn't much that I said, whoops, coach is not real happy. It was a tough time for him because we just weren't very good. And it was just, it's amazing. Think about this. His best years was when he was 65 to 70 years old. That's just I mean, to me, that's just incredible. That And you wouldn't believe the senior citizen letters and phone calls and whatever he got during that span. He was a rock star to the senior citizens. Oh, he was he was a rock star to the city. Come on. Coach Ray was yeah, – that's not – I mean, I, I, I get it. I love that the old people loved him, but, he, but everybody loved Coach Ray at that point. I mean, you're going to the Final yeah, Four. Yeah. Uh, You're right. I'd walk with him. If you ever want to be humbled, you kind of walk behind Coach Ray. You know, you look, he says hello to everybody. He used to say hello to everybody at the Final Four. Everybody knew him. And I'd be walking around, and not anybody knew who I was. they just just follow Coach because he knew everybody. I mean, from John Wooden to Dean Smith to, to the guy on the street corner. And he stopped and talked to them all. Well, and I just want to give you a little credit here, Coach. He, your dad had his biggest success, you know, late seventies, early eighties. But uh, it, I think, he, I think he was helped out by his son who was out there getting these players. Was he not? Well, we worked it, um, but we had something to sell, and that was Ray Meyer. We just needed to get out there. You know what I mean? And you did, Coach. You absolutely got out there, Coach Joey, straight legend. You can hear him tomorrow with Dave. Amy Gu, this coming up, seven twenty WGN.